How's it going, everybody? My name is Austin. I am with Apostles Addict Ad Tick, and you can find me on um on Faithful Dialogues as well. And I'm with my friend Ryan. Hello, everybody. My name is Ryan, and I'm with AIIW. You can find all my stuff over at AIIW.org. And uh, I'm excited for our episode today. I think we got some cool stuff that uh, we've got going for us before. Uh, sorry, going before us uh, for today. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll just dive right on into it. Yeah. All right. So we are currently live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, Kick, and Twitter. So if you're hearing us somewhere else and you want to see us actually on um, kind of live, then that's where we're going to be, um, where you can actually see our our webcams. And yeah, so rolling right into the gospel message is the the God of creation, the God that created absolutely everything, uh, stepped into his creation through the person of Jesus Christ, as Jesus Christ. And he was born of the Virgin Mary, and he lived the perfect life so that his life could be a sacrifice for our sins. The Father raised him to life three days later, and if we put our faith in him as the Jewish Messiah or as the Christ and that he is who he claims to be, then we have a promise from him like the thief on the cross that we will be with him in paradise and raised to eternal life when we pass away in this life. And so Ryan also has a message for you Christians who are already Christian. Yes. And so uh, thank God that I've already been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And what that means is that I have a responsibility to now educate myself about the Bible read that on a daily basis like the Bereans. That's what we're commanded to do. But in addition to that, I'm a priest. And what that means is that I'm supposed to go out and minister to my community and be there for other people to answer their questions and to help lead them to Christ. And so that's what I hope that me and Austin can do here with this podcast and with this channel, but also what I can do with my own personal uh, YouTube and all that kind of stuff as well. So, uh, you know, that's why I'm here, and uh, I love talking with, with you guys. I love, you know, spreading the uh, the gr good news of Jesus Christ with everybody and helping everybody understand a little bit more about what it means to be a Christian and how you should uh, do that in your everyday life. So I, uh, I hope that this inspires a lot of you Christians to go out and to do your own ministering in your own community in whatever way God leads you to do. Online's one way, uh, but there's also plenty of other ways that you can be in, uh, have a huge impact on your community. The number one way is to just be a, a, a godly person and to, uh, to, to lead your family in uh, the way that God has commanded you to lead them. That's the number one thing you can do. And from there, you can spread out and start working on helping out the rest of your community. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'd encourage you if you're a Christian and you've never actually witnessed or shared your faith with another person that you, you actually do that. And one thing I think is really important, too, is not to be afraid to tell people um, about your faith, because you don't need to sit there and tell them, you know, everything the Bible teaches for you just to say, you know, like, hey, what's up? You know, I gave my life to Christ and things have been going really good. Like it, that could be a very powerful witness. You know what I mean? So, yeah, well, and uh, I, I go for it. I was just going to say, it, your life won't always be going good, but what you'll have is you'll have peace and you'll have an understanding that surpasses any kind of er earthly knowledge, right? Like, Christians can be calm during a storm because of the fact that we know that Jesus Christ is there for us, and ultimately, even if we do die, we will be raised again and live eternally with him. Amen. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> me too, man, um, me too. 
all right um we got to do a whole episode on just heaven and what that is like and all the descriptors that the bible gives um one of the things is it says that all of our tears will be wiped away there won't be any death or disease and there's a lot of so basically every problem will be gone and so there's a there's a whole episode that i'm sure we could do on that as well as having christian silva back for the um part two of the fourth of july <laughs> we gotta we gotta get him back for that Definitely. Um, I was thinking maybe Joe might be a good guest to have on Ooh, uh, yeah. to do the heaven stuff, and he'll probably have a lot better answers for us. Uh, than, that sounds uh, great. Would so you want to do the same and just have him um, come over to to where you are? Uh, either that or he's got a pretty good setup with his own like Skype stuff, uh, so I could probably figure out how to do it uh, through that. Nice. Uh, <clears throat> we'll, we'll figure that out. Uh, I'm actually going to be going to Israel on Sunday. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to do kind of some banked episodes that we're working on, and uh, we'll be getting back to live by the beginning of August, I believe. So, Yeah, I'm uh, hoping I can, um, maybe, I don't even know if you're down, for Ryan, but maybe we can do today, tomorrow, and maybe even like um, Friday, so like that way we have stuff coming up, because he'll be gone for two weeks, so we're going to have to have two episodes on standby, or yeah. I'm going to have to record something on my own, and it wouldn't be live, so yeah, so... You know, I might try to I might try to call in and maybe we can do something and I can say hi from Israel. Uh, I'll also have a That'd lot of cool. like, uh, <laughs> video footage from Israel. Uh, if anybody has something that uh, I'll, I'll send all the stuff where all the places that I'm going. And uh, if anybody has anything you want me to, to look into or to take pictures of for you, I'll uh, see if I can get some video and pictures of it for anybody that uh, is interested. Go. Uh, um. So one thing I've heard about Israel is it's been built on so many times that trying to mm -hmm. trying to walk on things that Jesus has walked on or his feet has been on. There's like there's like a handful of staircases that might still be there from the old time, but everything has been like built on so many times that it's good luck trying to find things still. But <laughs> it's not like the original floors anymore, to what I understand. But do you know anything about that? So, it, it, yeah, for the most part, like the temple itself, what happened in was it 72 AD? I think it was 72 AD. The, uh, the Romans just completely destroyed the temple. So what happened was they were, they took over Jerusalem and they, uh, they were going to, you know, basically, basically dismantle the temple and steal all the gold and everything valuable from it. But what happened was the temple accidentally got lit on fire. And so the whole thing burned and there was so much gold in the temple, in the roof that as it burned, the gold dripped and it went in between all the cracks of all the different stones. And so the only way that you could guarantee that they got all the gold out of the temple was for them to literally leave no stone unturned the exact oh, way wow. that Jesus had predicted. And so the temple itself has been just completely and utterly destroyed. The, the, the most of it that we have left is like a uh, retaining wall that's kind of on the, the outskirts Solomon, of it. Solomon's temple? Uh, yeah, so this was, no, this was Herod's temple. So Solomon's temple had been destroyed much earlier. There's been, so far there's been two temples. Uh, so let me, sorry, let me do the whole history of kind of like the Jewish uh, stuff. So it started off, they had the tabernacle, which is a tent that they would carry around and assemble as they were in the, uh, as they were in the wilderness between Egypt and the Holy Land and the promised land. On the go temple. Yep. And so they used that for a while, actually, even after they uh, inhabited the land. And then uh, King David uh, got the plans for the temple 
and his son Solomon ended up actually building the temple. And uh, so that was the first temple. That's Solomon's temple. That got destroyed, and a second temple got built under, I believe it was King Herod. And so that was, I think that's Herod's temple is the way it was described. So he, either he built it or he had a major, like, renovation of it. And then that's what got destroyed by the Romans in 72 AD. And then ultimately what's going to happen is there's going to be a third temple that's built, and that will last for eternity, I believe. Uh, we actually see the temple show up in, uh, like, heaven or not heaven, in, in the end times uh, as something that's actually being used for sacrifices again. So at, a, at some really? point. Mm -hmm. And so, so in Israel. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm just going to ask you all the things you're about to just say. No, 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 anyway. please, please <laughs> ask, please ask. I was going to say, are they, are, they, um, are they trying to reinstitute sacrifice at the temple currently? Is there a, t is there a temple that they've rebuilt? Is there a third temple currently? Uh, so... That's it's, I was actually just about to get into that exactly like you said and um, yes so there is a, a uh, an organization called the Temple Institute I believe that yeah I've heard about them yeah what they've been doing is they've been training up priests they've been looking for uh, so the first thing that they need to do before they can even start building the temple is they need to have a red heifer that's without blemish and they need to be able to sacrifice that and then burn it completely and use those ashes for certain ceremonies. And so okay. they actually just got the first shipment of unblemished red heifers in Israel, is my understanding. Um, and my, the other thing that they've been doing is they have storehouses and warehouses around Israel just full of building materials and uh, temple implements. And so the second that there is an opportunity for them to go to the Temple Mount and start constructing they're ready to go start doing that immediately. And there's some speculation that they might be able to have a temple up and built in about a couple months, which is just insane. So where would that put that temple on some kind of uh, prophetic timeline? Uh, so, like... so, yeah, once that temple is built, then we are, that's one step closer to what's going to be able to happen in the end times. I, I'm not sure specifically if the prophecies say that the temple, like, my understanding is that there isn't a specific prophecy that is in between us and the rapture. And so we at any, moment, at any moment, we at any moment could get raptured like it could happen right now. <laughs> um, wow. But th at some point between either before we get raptured or after we get raptured, but before the uh, before three and a half years are over, there will be a temple that's built between them. Does that make sense? Uh, because we know that the Antichrist has to go and make an abominable sacrifice on that, uh, in that temple, on the, the altar. He's going to go desecrate the Holy of Holies that they will ultimately well, build well, in that temple. He's actually going to sacrifice something, or is that kind of figurative or metaphorical? Uh, my understanding is he's actually going to sacrifice something. So it's called the abomination that causes desolation. And so I thought what that just it is... meant he went into the temple and declared himself to be God. Uh, that could possibly it be it, but we've actually seen this happen once before in, I believe it was the first temple. A, somebody went in, a king went in and slaughtered a, uh, a pig, pig on the altar, which is just yeah, the, the worst thing you could possibly do to a Jewish temple is desecrated. they wouldn't with, even eat pigs. No, yeah. they, they wouldn't have anything to do with pigs whatsoever. Like the prodigal son going and working on a pig farm was the utmost disgrace. That was the absolute lowest that a Jewish man could possibly be. 
that's why he was like, what am I doing? And then like, that's what mm -hmm. snapped him out of it. And so... Exactly. So uh, ultimately, this temple, I believe, will be built. And uh, like I said, there's a whole group of Jews that are working on making that happen uh, as soon as they possibly can. And my understanding, like I said, is that they have all of the building materials in place, ready to go uh, to be able to to accomplish that. So I don't think I'm going to be able to get to see the, the Temple Institute itself uh, when That's I'm in Israel. Shame. But uh, I we'll see. I'll what, try. I wonder where they're at as far as the construction and the plans. and. So the construction, stuff. they haven't even started. Right now, the, the problem is that the Arabs control the Temple Mount. Uh, oh, they no. have their uh, their mosque. They believe that uh, Muhammad ascended into heaven from that exact point, and so they claim it's the third most holy place in Islam. Uh, it's Mecca, one other place, and then uh, the Temple Mount is the the third most holy. And so it's really so... important to Arabs and to Muslims. Um, and so that's why they haven't been able to rebuild it yet. If it weren't for that, they would have already done it. So there's going to be some major turmoil that happens in Israel that then allows them to go in and uh, to go in and, and complete the the construction of this temple. Yeah, that's why there's that's why there's so much uh, geopolitical tension going on over there because I think that mm -hmm. both of their religions are saying we need this place, and so they're they're uh, <laughs> yeah. Yep. And and unfortunately, uh, I I love the Jewish people. I love the Arab and Muslim. I love Arab and Muslim people as well. And unfortunately, they're all not following God. And so, what the Bible teaches is that that they aren't saved. And so, they're acting as unsaved people. Unfortunately, so we can we can be praying for them. Ultimately, at the end at the end times when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a third of the Jews. Or, sorry, all the Jews that re that remain are going to ultimately turn to Christ and, and uh, give their lives over to him the way that that's they should have nuts. when he first came. That's, praise God. That, uh, yeah. Well, so, that's a prophecy, right? Yeah, that's a prophecy. And it's it's so beautiful when we see oh, the, yes. the Messianic Jews coming to Christ. Uh, yes. Like uh, Dr. Michael Brown um, and a few others that are, are Messianic Jews. And it's it's just such a beautiful thing. What does thing that mean? To, What's a Messianic Jew? It just means that you believe that the Messiah has already come and that that Messiah is Jesus Christ. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I want to I want to speak to Messianic Jews because that's a, like I, I look at them the same way I would look at like Saul of Tarsus. Like, do you know what I mean? Like they have like this mm -hmm. cool conversion story or like um, or just any of the other Jews, right? That um, following Christ that yeah. great, we're willing to believe that the Messiah is here. You know, it would be it'd be really cool if I don't know if they'd let you, but uh. It'd be really cool if we could find a, a there. There's whole churches that are are messianic Jew Jew that are messianic Jewish churches. Oh, um, cool! It'd be cool to find somebody from there or find find you know a pastor. It'd from be there. cool to attend a service. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, it would be really cool to it. see like a Passover uh, dinner celebration at some point. That would be that'd be super that, that's, cool. That's like a dream of mine. Hopefully someday, because yeah, it, you know, because the Passover is so important to our understanding of what Jesus Christ did, right? Like that's, he chose that specific meal to make it the last meal and to, to form communion from, right? And what we as, as modern Americans and as people that have been influenced by the Catholic church, we, we don't understand the actual Passover meal like ceremony. The whole thing is symbolic, <laughs> okay? They eat bitter herbs. Yeah. Well, they, they eat bitter herbs to... Uh, 
to symbolize the bitter or the harsh conditions that they suffered under under the Egyptians. Like, every single bit of that meal is completely symbolic. And if we had that understanding of Passover, and if we had actually witnessed kind of these Passover meals, it makes it much more difficult to believe the uh, the heresies that the the Catholic Church teaches, right? Like, no one in that meal thought that they were drinking Jesus's blood or eating his flesh because they knew that the whole thing is symbolic. You would, you'd hold up the bitter herbs and say, we eat these bitter herbs as a, you know, as a symbol of the harsh conditions that the Egyptians put us under. And we drink this cup for this reason. Uh, Cause there's, there's four cups in the, in the ceremony that you drink. So you drink one cup, you pass it around there's a second cup, you pass it around, and then there's a third cup, and that's the cup that Jesus actually used as his uh, as communion. Okay, so that has special meaning that I don't even understand because I haven't gone through the whole ceremony. And uh, there's a fourth cup, and he won't drink that until he's with us in heaven drinking wine again. And so that's yeah. kind of a beautiful <laughs> picture of what what communion is supposed to be, and, you know, we've totally messed that up because we don't understand where it came from. And so that's, that's why I've been fascinated by it. And so I have a lot of knowledge about it, but, but actually going through and experiencing a, a, a ceremony like that, I think would help me to understand exactly what's being taught in that, uh, through that, that ritual. If you're, if you're Jewish and you're down, invite us. We want to, we yes, want to see it. <laughs> uh, Jewish oh, or uh, messianic Jews, like anybody will, will, <laughs> I'd love to Anyone see that. Anyone who's willing to let us be there, because we just, yeah, I'm sure we, we just want to respectfully see it, because it's, yeah. Mm -hmm. And we'll have to wait um, a, year, a year for it, but uh, hopefully. So what is your personal conviction about Lord's Supper? Um, uh, I was Like, what this. is it? What, is, no, what do you well, mean? So you said he chose this specific celebration um, for, like, to like you know point to to Christ and stuff like that and he said like you got to drink my my flesh or sorry you got to eat my flesh and drink <laughs> my blood and you said nobody actually thought that they were doing these things um so do you think that you're saying that because of a built-in doctrine because i would say that i don't think a lutheran would say something like that cuz i'm pretty sure their their um their whole belief that um, this is uh, is means is like the, the the body. This is my body, so that means it literally is his body and stuff like that. So it's not, and, and so it's weird because um, that that teaching was hard for people, even the disciples, to like um, to like understand and like accept at first because it was symbolic. So, but then you have denominations like Catholics and almost Lutheran Catholics and almost Lutherans who believe that when you're taking the Lord's Supper that it actually is his flesh and you're actually you actually are drinking his blood. So I just wanted to ask you what is your personal belief on like the Lord's Supper what's going on there are, what what is what are the elements is that really his flesh and like yeah just go ahead and speak and on whatever So I I'm just going to preface it with the the truth and the reality is that they are a symbol for us to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. And, and Jesus made that abundantly clear in John chapter 6. So at the beginning of the chapter, he, he describes that you need to eat my flesh and you need to drink my blood. And, there, and, and everybody just gets incensed because cannibalism is like 
uh, it, it, that's even lower than the pigs, <laughs> right? Like pig, pig filth, dealing with pigs, and then even lower than that would be to have anything to do with a dead body, let alone having that dead body enter into your body itself. So cannibalism is just like the biggest, worst thing you could do. Um, and so when he said that in John chapter six, the whole crowd just like there a whole bunch of people got up and left and stopped following him. And so what we see later when he's talking something because they, well, they thought he was talking about actually eating his flesh, actually drinking his blood. And they thought he was talking about being a cannibal. And so they were, yeah. it's a tough teaching. And so they, a lot of people left him. But what we see is later on in the chapter, he's explaining this to his disciples. And what he says is that this is spirit, not flesh. Okay. The, the it's, it's spirit and it's truth. And so what he's saying is that you're not actually eating Jesus Christ's body as in like a piece of hunk of flesh. Okay. But what you're doing is you're partaking in that sacrifice that he made and re and remembering that sacrifice. So it's his, his body isn't being represented. His body is in heaven with uh, sitting at the right hand of the father. Okay. That's where his flesh is. So, uh, that's so what I believe. I... That's the, that's the symbolic view. Okay. So that that's what would be called the symbolic view. Uh, the Catholic view is called transubstantiation. So that's a really big, fancy word. So trans means like transform. So think of a, a transformer. And so what's happening in transubstantiation, the blood, the the wine and the bread are f actually in their essence being transformed into the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. So they still appear as if they are bread and wine, but in reality, the, the substance of them, transubstantiation, the substance of them has been changed from bread and wine to flesh and blood. And so they believe they are literally eating the flesh of Christ and they're literally drinking the blood of Christ. And so you'll see Catholics, they'll actually take, the they call it the host, I believe, they'll take it, they'll put it on an altar and they'll actually parade it around the city and claim that Jesus Christ is actually physically there being paraded around a city. They'll worship it, okay? Um, they actually stopped, uh, in a lot of places, they'll only do a, uh, they'll only do one of the elements. They'll usually just do the bread. And the reason why they stopped doing the blood, or the, the wine, is because pa uh, priests would spill it, or uh, the, the, the people, the recipients would spill it, and that would be spilling Jesus's blood on the ground, which is a huge dishonor. And so you, so you, you can just stop doing it entirely. Yes. So That's you can have a crazy. So you can have a. I think they call it a single element communion, where they only give you the bread. Yeah, it's it's sick. So the, <laughs> you you can see how this this line of thinking has led into just horrible horrible theology dude because blood is what covers your sins dude mm -hmm. and so like it, it, it we're taking that element out you're just all you're doing at that point is saying thank you for getting messed up for us jesus but you're taking the blood out of the communion that's messed up that like i don't know yeah it, like, it's uh... it's so crazy but well and and the other thing is jesus commanded that you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood and so they're just yeah. ignoring the second half of that command but then they're also extrapolating out from that story that it's actually his flesh. They're ignoring his direct commands <laughs> while extrapolating out and interpreting horribly what he actually said. It's just, it's the wackiest thing. So that's transubstantiation. That's what Catholics believe. I'm not quite sure where Orthodox falls in. Uh, but 
there's another one, okay, so evangelical Christians, most American Christians, it's symbolic. Catholics, transubstantiation. Uh, some of the, the, the denominations that are closer to Catholicism, so uh, I believe, let me, uh, specifically, it is the Lutherans, uh, I know for a fact, that believe in something called consubstantiation, okay? So transubstantiation, the, the, the bread and the wine transform into the substance of Jesus Christ. In consubstantiation, the elements take on the substance of Jesus Christ. So they don't change. You're not so actually. They just don't do the spell. Uh, it just I... happens is what they're saying. Yeah. So they claim that after consecration, the body and blood of Jesus Christ are really present with the substance of the bread without the actual like bread stuff being destroyed. So a Catholic will tell you that that is no longer a piece of bread. The breadness of it is been has been destroyed and replaced with fleshness, okay? What a, a Lutheran will tell you is that's still a piece of bread, but in addition to being a piece of bread, it's also a uh it's also the flesh of Jesus Christ. And so that's consubstantiation. So the the prefix con means with, and so it means with substance. So one of the things, um, uh, so, I, so I went to a Lutheran church a couple of times and uh, Lord's Supper came up, right? Um, they all kneel. It all gets, uh, they all come up to the altar. They all get administered the elements from the, the, the from the pastor. Um, and in order to actually uh, take communion with them, you have to be confirmed which essentially mm -hmm. means you have to have a meeting with the pastor outside of normal service times so that he can say, look, this is what we believe as Lutherans, agree or disagree. And then if you disagree, you just don't take communion with them. And so they're, they're, they basically are, um, I, I almost saw this as like Catholic too. Because like for me personally, um, I think just eating some form of cracker and eating and drinking some form of juice or wine, I think. And then, and then going through the whole, um, Lord, like I'm going to, I'm remembering your sacrifice. Thank you for your body that you've, you know, that was like bruised for me. Thank you for the blood that was shed for me and just remember the sacrifice and just, you know, say really thank you, Jesus, for everything that you've done. It's always put me in like in the spirit, in my feels and stuff like that. And I wouldn't honestly, like, I don't know why, Algae has to align and we have to agree on every point for me to be able to take communion with you especially if i just have my own uh, uh, beliefs on it because like for me personally i feel like i can just go get a bottle of wine three dollar bottle of wine cheapest wine that they have go get some um kosher um you had them when we did uh pass over mm -hmm. at your house or, um the little uh crackers yeah you know so I mean? it's, it's I, I feel... uh, unleavened bread Okay, so I feel like I can go and get these things, and I can do communion whenever I want, uh, by myself or with other people. It's totally my choice, and I think I have that freedom in Christ to do so. so. Um, uh, but that's um, my that's my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would I would counter a couple of those things. Communion the the definition of communion means that you're with people. Like oh, when okay. You, okay. So I don't think you could do it by yourself. I wouldn't be okay. taking communion by myself personally. Uh, unless okay. I were to, to read that like a little bit, but we definitely need to be careful with communion. So uh, okay. a lot of times what, what Protestants do or evangelicals specifically is we kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater a little bit. And so while it is just a symbol, 
of Christ, that doesn't mean that we can treat it with without that that we don't have to treat it with respect. It's not casual. Okay. And so what we okay. see in First Corinthians eleven twenty seven to twenty nine, what it says is therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And so, again, while I believe that it's symbolic, there are dire consequences for people who take it in an unworthy manner. And so... I think that's what, why they wanted me to get confirmed before I took yes. with them, too. Yeah. So, a, a, a lot of those... A lot of the... I agree with that to a certain extent. Uh, what uh, what they call it is uh, guarding the uh, communion table, something like that. They have a, they have a special term for it. And there's just churches trying to that... protect you. They they don't mm. want you to drink God's wrath on yourself and stuff. You know. Yeah. So while I believe that I can present communion to people, I think that as a priest, I have every right to to have communion for my family. Uh, and like like you said, I've I've had communion at my house for different. Uh, reasons uh easter being the, the number one reason and yeah you know i think that we should be doing that more whenever we gather just even as friends who are christians there's no reason that you can't have communion every once in a while um as long as everyone there is on the same page and you know isn't taking it in an unworthy manner like i wouldn't have communion you me uh my friend christian i'd have communion with us three but i wouldn't include my catholic friends because I can't give them communion in an unworthy manner, and I don't believe that they are in the right. Does, does that make sense? So even if they like said seriously, bro, like please, can I do it? You'd be like, no, because like I don't, I don't want. Like, what would be your reasoning for why you'd say the, no to a Catholic? The, the reasoning is I don't know what they believe, and their church teaches absolute heresy. So it's possible that they're saved within the Catholic Church, but only by accident. So. The, the Catholic Church itself adds works to, fa to grace, which makes grace not grace. That's what the Bible says explicitly. And so they, they say that you work in cooperation with, with Jesus Christ's grace. You have no cooperation with his grace. The only thing that you do to receive Jesus Christ's grace is have faith in him. That's it. Faith and repentance. That's it. There is no cooperation that you need to be in with God in order to receive his grace. Okay, and so they're so like, the, I, I so go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So like, literally, the word cooperation means with operation, and so you like you're actually working. That literally means you have to work to to receive the grace that Jesus Christ has given to us <clears throat> for free, and that's that's why I can't have communion with someone who is a professing Catholic or a practicing Catholic. They they just yeah. believe such drastically different things from the truth in general that it's 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 not something that I can in good conscience do. I would have to protect my that table. It's my job as the priest to protect that as best I can from people taking it in an unworthy manner. Which I, I think that's something that my church probably should take a little bit more seriously. So they'll tell you not to eat it or drink it if it's if, if you're not in the right place, but they're not actually making you like get up and go to them to take it from them. They're they're just passing it around and letting anybody just grab it. So, so like the possibility of it being taken in in a wrong in an unworthy manner is there because they're not essentially gatekeeping it. Yeah. So 
I, I'm not dead set on this doctrine. Again, I still go to this church, so it's not a big enough problem for me to have to disassociate. But I think it's something that could be a little bit different. I'm also of the opinion that it should be done with wine. So uh, I think that there should be an option for those who, who may be alcoholics uh, to not drink wine if, and have grape juice available for them, but to default give grape juice to every single person in the room rather than the, what Jesus actually had us do, I think is, uh, is incorrect. You could Again, do um, a red tray with wine and a blue tray with juice, and you could just go up and pick the tray that, you know, you okay, personally okay, want to do. Okay, you know? what, what, what I don't understand is, honestly, how many alcoholics are in your church, okay? If it's like one or two, <laughs> you just have them go to the back and grab a grab a little cup from the back. You don't need to, or or if you're doing it properly and you're not just passing it around through the pews, if you actually have to go up, you can just have, like you said, that red tray or a, with like three of them in there, and then the other ones with hundreds, right? There can't be if you if you have that many alcoholics. And the, the other thing that I've been more convicted of recently is there is victory in Jesus Christ. Okay. Amen. Yeah. Alcohol absolutely. alcoholism is not a disease. Okay? I, I'm sorry. Nope. It is a choice that it's you not. make and you can choose to stop doing it through the power of Jesus Christ. Uh, do unbelievers are they diseased or are they incapable of stopping? Probably. They're of their father the devil. Uh, they have much worse problems than their alcoholism if they're not saved. But if you're saved and you're having a problem with alcohol, you need to fix that in yourself. And there is no reason you can't take communion, in my belief, with wine. You're, you're taking a sip. You're not getting drunk. You're not going to go off like and fall off. Like a tablespoon. It's like a tablespoon. <laughs> it, it, like, like if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're supposedly saved, but you're that close to the precipice of falling off and, and falling back, like, it, it, nowhere in the Bible does it say that we shouldn't use wine in communion because people might stumble. It does say that we should be careful with our with what we do um as believers to not stumble others but there there that's just not that's not an absolute command that we have to adhere to at every single moment right like well the easier thing to do in that situation is just to be like hey Ted um I know that you kind of struggle with alcohol a little bit um I I kind of have I have some some grape juice do you want to do you want to do communion me and you that way you're not like like is that something you're interested in like do you want me to be there with you kind of like help help encourage you like so you don't yeah. like stumble in this time like we we really need to step in for like we're a body we got to step in especially like um just just for people like if you know that they struggle with something and you you don't, you know what I mean? And you're not going to go trying to help them and then end up stumbling together. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Like if you can go and be like, Hey brother, um, can I, do you want, do you need, want me to be with you here on, and during communion? Um, you know what I mean? Like it, it yeah. for me, um, well, I would and... take the wine every day of the week, but if I had some alcohol, uh, a friend with alcohol issues, I would take the grape juice with him just to help him out and encourage him through that, that communion. Do you know what I mean? Like I would, I would forego so... the wine just to help out a brother. Do you know what I mean? And and that's been the uh, that's that's why we do grape juice essentially, okay? Is because everyone's agreed to that. But the problem is like you've now changed the nature of what Jesus Christ has given to us to do, just to help a brother not stumble. When when really what we need to be telling that brother in Christ is you can have victory over your uh, addictions. 
Okay, you can have victory over that in Christ. If you if you actually put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can have victory over it. And if you can't take communion with wine for now, that's your problem. And 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 and, I, and a problem. I shouldn't say it's not, I'm I'm not trying to dismiss it, but that's that's something for you to take care of, and I'll help you with that as best I can. But I should still have the freedom to take a thimble of of wine in communion. That's that's my opinion. So so when we have issues, it's not everybody needs to um abandon what they how do i put this if i if i'm stumbling with something i need to have a conviction about what i'm stumbling with and i need to work with god through prayer to prune that out of my life i one thing is i don't think this is my opinion i don't think we should put everything on everybody else so i don't think like if i'm stumbling with something in particular that everybody should just walk on eggshells about this so that way they don't um i don't see it or i don't smell it or i don't like do yeah. you know what i mean like i gotta mm -hmm. have some level of self-control that i can pray to the lord about this and be like lord every time i see this every time i smell this every time i'm near this i just i want to go and do it i want to i think about it and i, I need your help lord i'm gonna try my best and i need i need your help um but there's this kind of um aspect of it to where i've seen it just being in the church for three years where people will kind of put that burden on you because they don't like it in themselves and it kind of gets to this like it almost enters like a legalistic kind mm -hmm. of thing you know and, what I mean? so again i think communion is it's a thing you do once a week once a month once a quarter depending on the church that you go to there's no prescribed the time say. frame okay no okay. Uh, the the only thing we know is that it says to that we can do it whenever you you gather it might be a command to do it every time we gather that's that's up for debate um but ultimately obviously i'm not going to go invite a, an alcoholic friend to a rager where there's a whole bunch of booze and we're all getting <laughs> drunk and I, and as a christian i shouldn't be going to something where i go and get just smashed you know right like that would be no, a sin if you if you go For there me. and you show self-control, hopefully you inspire others to, to show self-control. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, you switch to so, a seltzer after a, a beer or two, and then they do too because they see you. You know what I mean? Like, hopefully that's what yeah, you're doing so as you a can, Christian at a party. So you can be in the situation where there's a ton of alcohol, but you can't be slamming back, you know, uh, you know vodka all night and getting drunk because there's, there's commands yeah. for Christians to not get drunk. But... That doesn't mean that that's the same thing as, as somebody being in a service with, with a thimble of wine. Okay, it, it, those are two not. You're right. completely different scenarios. And so as a Christian, you're not supposed to cause your brother to stumble. I don't believe that the communion can cause someone to stumble, like unless you're in an unworthy manner and then they shouldn't be taking it at all. OK, like are you saying you're, you're in such a position where you need such help that we, we communion's not your biggest worry right now? You, you, <laughs> you, like, if if <laughs> if you drinking less than like less than a tenth of an ounce of alcohol is going to cause you to relapse and become a raging alcoholic you've got much bigger problems than than communion like you've got to get your you, you've got to get your heart right there is some other issues going on there and, and i think that we've allowed people to kind of wallow in their we call it a disease okay alcoholism is not a disease it's not an illness. It's it's a choice. You choose to drink alcohol. You can choose to go through the hard hardship of stopping it. They're, they're, they're choices. It's in. I'll I'll lump it in there with people who have a hard time with sugar or people mm -hmm. who have a hard time with 
any vice yep. really if you do it if you do it on a very very high hyper frequent um like uh cons- like if you do it very frequently then um it, yeah sorry i'm i'm losing my train yeah, of thought but you uh, get my point. Uh, <laughs> and I and I think I've said this before, but the the Bible says that we can have victory over sin. We do not have to wallow in our chronic sins. We're still going to stumble and fall, and 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 we're going to say a lie here or there. But you're you're not going to be able to wallow in your sin, and it's not going to have that effect over your life anymore if you're truly a Christian and if you truly have your heart right. And my belief, potentially, and I, I can't say this for everybody. But there is a very strong likelihood that if you can't drink a tenth of an ounce of, of wine, that your heart's not in the right place to be taking communion in the first place. That, that's, and that's okay. And that's, and that's okay. okay. And, 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 and You're that's not a, going to hell because you don't take communion or anything. Exactly. Like. <laughs> that is, uh, it, and that's, that's another problem with the Catholic belief is, is part of the cooperation with Jesus Christ's grace is you have to do things like take communion. You have to do right. things that so will add to the turkey. grace yeah so you can't just start putting your faith in jesus and let the sanctification start to begin you have to just be sanctified you have to just be it already and like that's what that that's probably the largest reason why people don't just come to christ through catholicism as much as they could like the, i i think they see rules and tradition instead of the love of god and and that's yeah. ultimately you know what i mean that's mm-hmm. we need a we need, one thing i really really love about baptists and i i would uh i have just been going to a lot of baptist churches they emphasize a personal relationship with jesus and that's a great place to start when you're when you're an atheist and you don't and you're, you're starting to be like okay i think there is a god like i think he he actually there, there might be a god and the bible says it's it's um this god and he's a triune god and all that kind of stuff so well yeah. and and i you know i wasn't intending for this to be a, a catholic bashing episode and i hope if anybody that's Catholic is watching this, you don't see this as me bashing you because I'm trying come to argue do this. with us, please <laughs> come yeah. argue with us. Yeah, please, please do. And, and maybe someday we'll have a, a Catholic friend on or something to, to kind of talk, you know, to, to discuss these yeah, we'll things be, with, but we'll be really nice to you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, they, they have things in, in their beliefs that are just wrong. Right. And, and, and the, the church itself puts intermediaries in between you and God okay and what the Bible says is that there is one intermediary between you and God and that's the man Christ Jesus and so when I pray I'm taking my prayers and they're going directly to Jesus and God gets them immediately through him okay what happens with Catholics is you 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 pray to all these saints you go and you have to do all these things Uh, you have to confess your sins to a, a priest you have to go to the priest to receive communion, which is important because that's a sacrament. You are not, that's part of you cooperating with, with Jesus Christ grace. Like the whole thing is just layers and layers and layers of intermediaries between you and Jesus Christ. They, they even call Mary, one of her titles in the Catholic church is mediatrix, which just means female mediator. <laughs> and, and the Bible is crystal clear. No intermediaries, none, no one in between you and Jesus. And, and so that's why, you know, the, the, and, and ultimately that's what people want is you want a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You want to know that there is nothing that you can do to separate yourself from him. Yes, we can sin. Yes, we can mess up. But with repentance and faith, there is no separation. And so we can be assured that 
if I were to get killed in a bus accident tomorrow or, or something horrible were to happen to me, I, I don't have to worry that there wasn't a right that was like that I didn't get blessed by a priest as I'm dying or, you know, I, I can be assured that I'm going to be in heaven, in paradise, that moment with Jesus Christ, the moment that I'm that I die. And he's at, uh, my my understanding and this. This could be a little wrong, but my understanding is that there's verses that say that a, as you die, Jesus comes and actually escorts you to heaven. Uh, so I, like. Um... Yeah, I, I a lot of people have claimed to have met Jesus in near-death experiences that are not Christians at all, so I, I, I'm willing to believe it. <laughs> I, I personally, I take the uh, the near-death experiences with a little bit of a grain of salt because yeah. I, I don't know so that that's Christian. a... Well, they're not Christian, and, and they don't always have biblical uh, accuracy in their, um, in their visions, and I don't know what exactly you're seeing in a near-death experience. I... Because, I, I, like... There is no such thing as really. There is no such thing as being near death. Either you're dead or you're not. Though there, there, it's an on or an off situation. It's a bad way of phrasing it. Well, it, it it's it's the it's an accurate way for what they're describing because they're claiming that they were closer to heaven, like they were seeing the heavens part, and they're gonna go up into heaven, or you know what I mean, or they're floating above their body. But the the fact is that either I'm alive and I'm in Christ. Or I'm dead and I'm with Christ. Those are the only two states. It's an on or an off, in my opinion. There isn't some ethereal in-between state that they're in and that they get a... You know what I'm saying? Like, if they did have a vision, it was it was in a similar way to a Muslim having a dream or, uh, like, John That's getting what I revelation. Would, yeah. so, I'd agree with that. It'd be more of, like, a dream if they're having a near-death experience, and it'd be more it, of in the realm yeah. of that. That's exactly. What I, I think too. Yeah. So, it, in my opinion, and again, I, I would love to have a conversation with someone who disagrees and has a a biblical basis for it. Um, but in my opinion, near death experiences are are something to be highly suspect. You have to be very suspicious of them when you hear somebody claim that they're a Christian based solely on the fact of a near death experience, because what they saw as Jesus might not have been Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Um, Especially if, if it doesn't comport with the Bible. All right, we should probably get into John. <laughs> yeah, no, uh... no, no, no. Um, we have that. We have that video really quick too. Oh yes, um, yes, yes. <laughs> so, so we have we have two of them really quick. But I just want to quickly say I just noticed that the, the stream has is just on me. You're not there. So I don't know. Um, it's what do you probably mean? Been that way. It's probably been this way the entire time. What do you mean? <laughs> um, what, what you you're looking stream? at is is what they see, like what right do you mean? here. I'm saying, you. Ha I don't think you've been in the shot, your webcam. I don't think it has been in the shot the I, entire time. I'm looking at my OBS right now. It's showing both of oh, us. Oh, Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Here, let me... Let so me... What from what I'm seeing in Discord... Oh, it's it's just yeah, the Discord's, Discord thing. Discord's way different. Uh, my OBS... Oh, then I... Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I may not have set it up right. Let me let me double check. No, you're fine. No, no, no. If ever... oh, okay. Don't touch anything. Don't touch anything. <laughs> well, no, I wasn't going to touch anything. I, I was going to look on my phone and just... Lo check if we're what we're seeing live here let me see no worries uh, oh that sounds cool okay so guys while he's doing that we have this cool video coming up let me 
make sure that it's not going to mess anything up. So we've got a guy named uh, William Lane Craig, I think is his name. I'm pretty sure is his name. And Ben Shapiro. And they are going to be talking about Jesus. And you've got William Lane Craig, I'm assuming to be some form of a like an evangelical or Protestant Christian. Yeah. Um, he hasn't said any Catholic stuff from what I've heard. But um, Ben Shapiro um, is of the Jewish faith. And I know there's a bunch of sects. And I don't know which sect he'd be a part of as far as the Jewish faith goes. But I know... Um, he is he is Jewish, and so um, and I'm saying that because he's not Christian. There are there are Jews who are Christian, and I just call them Christians. But um, he, I'm saying he's um, Jew by faith. Yes. Um, so I, uh, there's, yeah. I just looked it up. It appears that Ben Shapiro is an Orthodox Jew, and so what does that mean? Uh, it's a specific like brand of Judaism, kind of like there's differences between uh, it, you know, it's a different. It, it, it's it. it so the orthodox means that you're trying to go back and uh, the original. Uh, be go to the original Judaism. And so that's what they claim. I, I believe that's what they claim. I could be wrong about that. But ultimately, the the style of Judaism that we have had since the temple got destroyed is called rabbinic Judaism. And so rabbi, which is where we get rabbinic from, means teacher. And so before that you had uh, the temple and so the temple when the temple was there the priests were the primary religious leaders in that time okay and so they guarded the temple they were in charge of doing the sacrifices you had to go to them for all of your religious needs there were rabbis that would teach about the bible that were outside of the priests but the priests had a ton of uh, uh religious and uh ceremonial importance once the temple gets destroyed, there's a huge problem for Judaism because in Judaism, they believe that they're saved through the sacrifices. So once a year, the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies and uh, there's a special sacrifice called. Uh, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically if a sacrifice. That's the case, if that's mm -hmm. the case, you're perpetually saved, but continue. Yeah, that I'm just teach telling you what Jews believed when the temple I know, was existing. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so this isn't the truth. I don't believe this is the truth. But <laughs> they believed, and and they were commanded to. So they would be sinning if they if they weren't. But they they needed when they had the temple, they needed to perform these sacrifices in order to atone for their sins, and that's what God had commanded okay. them to do. Once the temple's destroyed, there's a huge problem in Judaism because there's no temple to go do your sacrifices at, and unlike other religions where you could go to other places and do it other in other ways, there's only one place that a Jew can go to do the sacrifices, and that's at the temple. And so once the temple gets destroyed, the, the Jewish people are just put into total turmoil as far as their religious beliefs. And so the rabbis step in, and they come up with basically a whole new faith that is called Judaism, but that inserts works and, uh, you know, uh, good to be circumcised. And well, yeah. so, so they had to be circumcised before to be part of the family. Uh, this is complicated because what the Jews are required to do is very specific and very stringent. They got chosen as, as God's people to be a specific kind of representation of what it means to be God's people. And so they were given very specific, very, uh, difficult commands to follow. And so what they have to do because of what God commanded is different than what you or me have to do as Christians. And so they do have to get circumcised. There is a command that all Jewish boys get circumcised on the eighth day of their life. That has to happen or it's sinful. 
okay? And you can actually yeah. be, and it, it, there's there's a lot of repercussions to not being circumcised properly. So I they, know that they, one because like right? uh, the whole like if you um, you you um, work on the Sabbath because if your child has to be circumcised on a Sabbath then you go ahead and do it. I, I just remember that one. So yeah, it's, well, uh, well that's, Jesus that's rebuking the people. Yeah, well that that's that's an interesting one because there's a reason why it has to happen on the eighth day. And that's because that's when your body's actually best capable of recovering from it. So there are certain uh, elements in your blood that help you to heal faster if you have more of it. Coagulants. And, uh, a, lot, a few different ones. But yeah, one of them is coagulants and, and a couple other things. And so on the eighth day, you have like 125% of those elements oh, wow. in your blood if you do it the seventh day you've got like 25 percent. if you do it the ninth day you're at 100 percent. literally the eighth day is when you have the it's maximum the like that's healing crazy. capability yeah and wow. so so that's why that command supersedes the sabbath because it has to be the eighth day or you're more likely to have problems <laughs> and it's like the moses's medical training at the time was uh put dung in it and so to see actual like scientific truth come out of the Torah, despite the fact that he got all of these, um, you know, bad instructions from his actual like scholastic training in Egypt. If it wasn't God giving it to him, it doesn't make any sense. But yeah, we kind of, what were we, what were we, <laughs> we were, what were we talking about? Oh, just Judaism in general. So rabbinic yeah. Judaism is uh, the style of Judaism that, that Ben, uh, believes in specifically in a, a brand of rabbinic Judaism called Orthodox Judaism. And so they believe they went back to the original rabbis that came up with this rabbinic Judaism, basically. Uh, and so, again, the, the whole system that he follows exists because they don't have a temple and they can't do the sacrifices that they are required to do. And that causes a huge problem for them and their uh, beliefs about salvation. So... Okay. That's where Ben's coming from. Uh, yeah. By the way, there's a little bit of feedback that we're getting uh, from your speakers. Okay. I just know. Me... It, it's not the worst, but yeah. Cool. You're good. All right. I, I have a splitter, so it goes into headphones and speakers, and then I get that problem. But yeah, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Nothing to be sorry about. Um, and, uh, yeah, right, whenever so let's you're go ready. ahead and... Uh, yeah, let yeah. me get to the right screen to watch it and put that... Okay. <laughs> oh, All man. All right. That's no good. Where's the watch party? Oh, there it is. Why is that? Jesus oh, it's popped out. Watched. Click the top left. Jesus claimed to be... There we go. Okay. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> Still getting used to my programming. <laughs> <laughs> Three episodes away. All right. Three, yep. two, one. <laughs> Who do you think Jesus of Nazareth was? Jesus... Really quick. Sorry to troll you. Um, I'm going to turn off my camera and mute my mic uh, for just while this is playing. So just okay. so I can have um, um, just a 10 minutes to do some a couple things. Okay. Uh, Who do you think? What's up? Uh, will you be able to, like, pause it if I say something? Yeah. Okay, because I'll want to, like, pause it and talk. And I don't think we'll watch the whole 12 minutes. We'll, we'll see. Okay. All right. In uh, three, two, one. I think Jesus of Nazareth was. Jesus claimed to be the decisive self-revelation of God. And I believe that we have good reasons to believe that those claims were true and that therefore the God revealed by Jesus of Nazareth exists. Okay, so let's, let's get into that. Okay. Uh, so what, are, what, are, what is the proof 
that Jesus was who he says he is in, in the gospel. Well, first we need to establish who he thought he was. When you look at the religio-historical context uh, of the life and ministry of Jesus, I think you can show that among the historically authentic words of Jesus were claims that he thought he was the Jewish Messiah, that he believed himself to be the Son of God in a unique sense that set him apart from Jewish kings and prophets, and finally that he thought that he was the Son of Man predicted by the prophet Daniel, to whom God would give all dominion, power, and authority. So he had this radical self-understanding of being Messiah, Son of God, and the Son of Man. And at the trial scene before the Sanhedrin in Mark 15, all three of these titles come to a head when the high priest asks him, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One, that is the Son of God? And Jesus says, I am. And then virtually quoting from Daniel, and you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven and seated at the right hand of the power. And at that point, the high priest rips his robes and says, you have heard the blasphemy. What more witnesses do we need? And Mark says, they all condemned him as worthy of death. And that enabled them, since they didn't have the ability to carry out capital punishment, to deliver him over to the Roman authorities by slandering him as a pretender to be king of the Jews and therefore a, a, a political figure who could be tried for treason and sedition and crucified. So from the Jewish perspective, the, this, this narrative has some, some holes in sort of Jewish philosophy. Uh, the, the narrative begins with the idea that Jesus appears in front of the Sanhedrin and then claims to be the Messiah. Well, there's nothing actual criminally in, in any of the tractates that say that if you declare yourself the Messiah, this is actually right. a punishment, a punishable offense even. Right. That, there, there are many Jews, including Bar Kokhba, who have declared themselves messianic figures. Absolutely. The, the real gap here is that in the Gospels, Jesus' vision of himself as the Messiah is completely different from the prior vision of what the Jewish Messiah is and is actually outside the scope of how Jews describe the Messiah or really have ever described the Messiah. The Messiah in Judaism has always been a political figure who is destined to do certain things, restoring the kingdom of Israel, uh, re maintaining control of that kingdom, uh, bringing more Jews back to Israel. All of these things are considered sort of political things that the Messiah does. But the idea of the Messiah as embodiment of God is something that's foreign to Jewish religious philosophy going all the way back to the beginning. So even the idea that the Sanhedrin would be questioning him in those terms and would get from that, that what he means is, I am God, which would be a much more punishable offense, presumably that would be actual blasphemy. That, that's, it's, it's an oddity. I think you're absolutely right in saying that Jesus' understanding of the Messiah was radically different from the prevailing um, cultural understanding of the Messiah among the chief priests and the common people. And he didn't meet their expectations. Indeed, that's what helped to get him crucified. Being the Messiah, you're right, in and of itself isn't a blasphemous claim. But to claim to be the Son of God in a unique sense, and then especially the Son of Man prophesied by Daniel, sitting at the right hand of the power, that is truly blasphemous and is sufficient for 
his condemnation. Now, the question I think that is raised by your interpretation, question, ben, yes. Yeah, your interpretation, mm -hmm. Ben, is this Why should we believe Jesus' reinterpretation of the Messiah rather than the one that the chief priests and the people held? And I think the answer to that is his resurrection from the dead. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is Yahweh's public and unequivocal vindication of the man whom the chief priests had rejected as a blasphemer. It is the divine demonstration that these allegedly blasphemous claims are in fact true, that he was who he claimed to be, uh, and that therefore I follow Jesus in his conception of what it means to be the Messiah. So when it comes to the resurrection, why is resurrection proof of divinity? So Lazarus is, is resurrected. Uh, that was why I wanted to emphasize the religio-historical context before we talked about the resurrection. A miracle taken in isolation is inherently ambiguous. The proper interpretation of a miracle is going to be given by the religio-historical context in which it occurs. And the resurrection of Jesus is not just the resurrection of any old body. It's the resurrection of the man who claimed to be Messiah, Son of God, and Son of Man, and, and who was crucified for those allegedly blasphemous claims. If God has raised this man from the dead, then he has, I think, unequivocally and publicly vindicated those allegedly blasphemous claims. So one of the counterclaims to some of this is that the Gospels are written significantly after Jesus lives. Even the earliest Gospel is written, what, 70 CE? Uh, some, somewhere, in, somewhere 40 years after, mm -hmm. after Jesus is crucified. So what's to say, I mean, that like most historical events, there is some play in the joints here. So that this would be the historical argument against the exact veracity of, of the gospel oh. revelations, for well, example. I, now, I think it's important to understand, Ben, that in order for a historical document to be reliable, it isn't required that it be inerrant. Contemporaneous, of course. So, of course. Um, what I would argue is that underlying the inference to the resurrection of Jesus are three great independently established facts which are supported by the historical evidence, uh, and which surprisingly, I did my doctoral work on this in Germany, uh, are, are recognized as such by the majority of New Testament scholars today who studied the historical Jesus. And these facts would be that after his crucifixion um, uh, and, and burial by a member of the Sanhedrin named Joseph of Arimathea, that Jesus' tomb was discovered empty on the first day of the week by a group of his female followers. Secondly would be that various individuals and groups of people then witnessed appearances of Jesus alive. And finally, number three would be that the original disciple suddenly and sincerely came to believe that God had raised Jesus from the dead despite having every predisposition to the contrary. The vast majority of scholars have come to accept as convincing the evidence in support of those three facts, not assuming biblical inerrancy or inspiration, but treating the Gospels as ordinary historical documents. You can show, for example, 
that the fact of the discovery of the empty tomb is attested by at least six independent sources in the New Testament, some of which are extraordinarily early. No scholar denies that individuals and groups saw post-mortem appearances of Jesus. The only question is whether you should or could dismiss them as hallucinatory. And again, nobody denies that the original disciples suddenly and sincerely came to believe that God had raised Jesus from the dead. So these three facts are pretty firmly established, and the only question is then how do you best explain them? And down through history, attempts have been made to explain these facts without recourse to the resurrection, like the conspiracy theory, the apparent death theory, uh, the hallucination theory, and so forth. And I would argue that none of these naturalistic theories meets the criteria for being the best historical explanation of the facts. None of them is as good an explanation as the one that the original disciples gave, that God raised Jesus from the dead. And if that's right, then I think we have good grounds, indeed are almost compelled to revise our typical understanding of who the Messiah was supposed to be. So we can have the historical argument back and forth, obviously, and I think that there are arguments that you can make. I think there are arguments that I can make, but I, I honestly yes. find them relatively uninteresting is the truth, um, simply because I'm not sure that we're going to come to any sort of consensus on them. No. You know, on the, on the historical argument, for example, I think it's fairly easy to claim there's, there's a sect of Judaism right now uh, in which there's a sub, small subsection of people who believe that the Lubavitcher Rebbe is still alive. Right? The Lubavitcher Rebbe uh -huh. passed away in the, in the 1990s. Yes. Yes. And there's still people who, who treat him as though he is not dead. Uh, they, they call him the Messiah. They think that yes. he was the political Messiah. Uh, they have, and, and they still do that 20 years after his death. You know, that's not proof to me that he is actually alive. Some of them claim Nor to have experienced it. Right, so, uh, you know, especially when you're talking about events 2,000 years ago, yeah. uh, if people write that down, I think there's Sufficient. I doubt this man's tomb is empty. I mean, I haven't dug him up, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I wouldn't know. But uh, the yeah. the claims, if somebody claimed 2,000 years from now that his tomb was empty or claimed 70 years from now that his tomb was empty, then... Yeah, that's that could... an important difference, Ben. The important time gap is not the gap between the events and the present. Um, good evidence doesn't become bad evidence just because of the lapse of time. The critical event, as you just said, is the time gap between the events and the recording of those Correct. events. And in the case of the events of the life of Jesus and his resurrection, that time gap is extraordinarily narrow. We can push back even before the writing of the Gospels and the epistles of Paul by discerning the traditions upon which they relied when they wrote. And some of these go back to within, it's estimated five years after Jesus' crucifixion. Um, I'm thinking of the ones that Paul transmits in to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15. So we're on pretty good ground there in terms of the earliness and the multiplicity of our sources for the life of Jesus. All right. Well, that was a wonderful video from uh, who? Uh, so ultimately, that video came from the Daily Wire. That was an interview between Ben Shapiro and William Lane Craig. And I'm very uh, happy that we were able to watch all of that. It's a uh, uh, it, it was very it was a very good presentation of 
the different arguments between Judaism and Christianity. And ultimately, what happened was Jesus Christ came and fulfilled 300 different prophecies that were, were made about him before he was born. They were written down 300 years before he was born. Jesus Christ came, fulfilled every single one of them. He was born in Bethlehem. He, you know, uh, all, all sorts of different prophecies. He just completely, perfectly fulfilled. And ultimately, the, the Jews couldn't see it because of the hardness of their own hearts. And, and it's, it's really unfortunate to, that, that, that Ben can't see it either, and, and I, we should be praying for him. It, right, but uh, yeah. What what were you, your weird. kind of thoughts on it, Austin? Um, well, there's a couple things to touch on, but if I was a Jew, um, I would want to believe that my that my Messiah came. Like, and I think the reason why they don't is because they didn't get everything that they were looking for as far as their preconceived notion of what the Messiah was going to do, and because mm -hmm. of that. Then, then we're just going to completely throw out Jesus with the bathwater, right? So, it, because he didn't completely relieve us of the oppression, because he didn't completely restore uh, Israel to the number one dominating force on the earth, like, like well, they had this idea of what was going to happen because the Jews were getting kicked around a bunch, so they thought when Messiah was going to come that he was going to make us like, the, you don't mess with the Jews yep. now, like, do you know what I mean? And so they're over here because that didn't happen, then they just don't, they just don't think that Jesus is real, and so, so it's go for it, yeah, yeah, so. You know, the um, the Jews have some very interesting beliefs about the Messiah. So the number one interesting thing that's different from what Christians believe is they believe there's two Messiahs. And so what, what they believe is that there was going to be one Messiah that comes politically and uh, and, and that comes and, 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 and rescues them at the time from the Romans. Uh, I don't know what, what exactly they believe today. Uh, and then there was another Messiah that was going to come and suffer and die. And ultimately, what we see in Jesus Christ is that he is that same person. And what we see is that Jesus Christ came, he suffered, and he died so that we can have salvation from our sins. But what he's going to do in the future is he's going to come back as, as part of the resurrection, and he is going to uh, uh, redeem the entire Establish world. Establish his kingdom here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. he's, gonna, he's going to throw off the, the earthly political powers that are ultimately under the control of Satan. And he is going to take legitimate political control over the entire earth. He will rule from his father's throne. Mary was promised, your son will rule, okay? No time has Jesus Christ ever sat on the throne of David ruling over the earth. And so there's a lot of people that are either, that, that are post-millennial, that believe that in 72 AD when the temple was destroyed, that that was... Uh, the beginning of the millennial reign and all sorts of things. I think that's a very silly belief personally. Uh, I can see why they believe it, but it, it is not something that is remotely supported by scripture in my belief, because what we need to see when Jesus Christ is reigning here on earth is him literally on a throne ruling as the king of the earth from Israel, from Jerusalem for a thousand actual years of prosperity where if you die at a hundred years old that's going to be young okay so there's some very big differences between the world that existed after 72 a.d and the world that's described under jesus christ's reign like ultimately it would jesus be a good king if he allowed all the sex trafficking like uh, right. See, yeah. I, I don't. I, I don't want to be crass, but that's a that's a huge problem in our society, and and that's the job of the king to fix. Okay. Right now, it's our job to fix it as as kings and priests of 
of Jesus Christ, but we're not perfect at it and, and we're not him. If Jesus Christ was actually reigning, I don't know how you could possibly believe that there's going to be all these murders, all this, you know, all, all these horrible things that happen in our society, right? To me, that's a, a very clear indication that Jesus Christ is not reigning at the moment. You'd know it. If Jesus Christ was c ruling over the earth, you'd know it. What do you think, um, or what do you believe, or is the next like prophetic event in the timeline like what needs to happen next for uh, like the next prophecy that needs to, to yeah come forward so and... well, uh there's a difference between what needs to happen and what could happen okay so prophetically there will be another temple that will be built we see that there's going to be a temple in existence that could be built before the rapture uh but there is nothing prophetically that has to happen between now and the rapture. It could literally happen at any moment. Uh, what we're waiting for and, and what will kick that off is what's called the fullness of the Gentiles. And so at, there's going to be a moment when there is the, the entire number of Christians that there will ever be will have come into the church. And that's the moment that Jesus Christ comes back and takes us up to be with him. Okay. It's, yeah, it says that the it says something about the full the, the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, and that's that's what's ultimately going to kick off uh, us going to be with Jesus Christ, and that and that just what does makes that mean? sense. Like every every believer that's a Gentile is going to come to Christ, and when the last believer comes to Christ, then he comes. What? Yeah, then he comes and he takes us, and so what? There, Are you serious? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we're just waiting on the last believer. Uh, there could be somebody watching right now that comes to Christ and is that last believer and we get raptured. And then we get raptured. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. That's so cool. Okay. That's really cool. Now, what I also believe is that there will be an ability for people to be saved in the tribulation, okay, but not through yeah, the church. there's an angel that goes around preaching. I, I know that. Yeah. So There's like I two faithful witnesses, and then there's an angel that flies around the sky um, telling everybody to repent. There's like a couple different things that happened in Revelation, right? Mm -hmm. like, and um, and we should do a full episode on this, so I don't, I don't want to get too much into the weeds of it without actually pulling up scriptures and, and showing them to you, uh, or to okay. our audience, really, uh, because I'm, I'm very sure of what I believe, but I'd have to, it's a whole very detailed argument to, to lay it out. It would take Why a whole episode. It? Yeah. Oh, okay. That, that actually, that would probably be the better episode to bring Joe for. Uh, so the, the first time that I met Joe, uh, he, he teaches in, uh, my, uh, what we call the school of discipleship at my church. So they have okay. classes that you can take as a Christian. Um, and uh, he taught one on revelation. So that was the first time that I met him was him teaching through the book of revelation and he did a really good job with it. So nice. uh, that'll, that might be something to have him on for as well. Okay. Have one of our faithful dialogues with him. Yeah. That sounds like a, like a good idea. Um, yeah. Maybe we can do, I really want to have, Christian finished the part two. Um, yeah. Because yeah. the farther every episode we don't get him back, it's going to be weirder and weirder to just have a, a founding fathers thing in the middle of nowhere. But um, and then so yeah. if we can get him back, maybe even next week, and then have Joe the following week. Oh, you're going to be in Israel. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we'll we'll get it all figured. We'll out. figure it out. Yeah. Well, and it's going to take like a month, but yeah. <laughs> I, I'm only mentioning it because uh, I just want people to know that the my goal, at least, and I think you're on board with this, is ultimately that it's not just us two talking all the time i think that it's been a it's been good that we've had the conversations that we've had but we also want to grow it and have a lot of faithful dialogues with all sorts of different people and maybe even we need ultimately... to tag team interview people i think is like the yeah. best 
um, idea there too. Definitely, um, definitely. And, and so I maybe think we can both come up with like a, a combined list of questions, and then you we'll just bounce back and forth. I ask one, you ask one, I ask one, you ask yeah. one, and we'll. And yeah. uh, you know, and we'll also have to involve the audience and and whoever wants to, Ooh, you know, they'd have to text we, us. Yeah, you can text us, you can email us, all, all sorts of different things, questions that we can ask different people in advance. So we will at some point have a show about Revelation, so send in questions you have about that. We will at some point have, you know, different shows about a lot of different topics. If there's something that you're interested in, please send that in to us. We'd love to talk about that as well. Uh, I know that originally the plan for this episode was we were going to go over John chapter 3. Uh, it doesn't look like we're going to get to that today, unfortunately, but... That's just the way things go. I think we've had a, a lot of great stuff to talk about outside of that. Yeah. And we'll get back I to had it fun for sure. This time, this time has flown by. Like I, um, I know, I know. I, <laughs> I've been tempted to so many times to be like, oh, let's get to the thing. But um, it's it's been really fun having um, conversations just about different subjects and stuff. Because we're going to, um, like, we're always going to be covering biblical stuff. And we don't need to... Uh, it, this isn't like we're inadvertently studying the Bible on this podcast, but it's not a Bible study podcast. Do you get what I mean? So we don't yeah. have to do this every single week, mm -hmm. and um, I, I don't want viewers to get that impression either that um, that you're coming to this podcast to study the Bible because there's are there's channels that are dedicated to that. And yeah, like, they do great jobs, and uh, you know that I don't think we're here to again have a faithful dialogue just about different subjects, and I mm -hmm. think. Um, that's yeah definitely well and and the reason why we've been going through certain books we we started with genesis uh i think it was really important that we educate people as to what the bible says and and there's some very important things in genesis that we need to go over uh then obviously the most important thing in the bible is the story of jesus christ and the gospel and you know the the those four books are incredibly important to go over as well and so i think it's great that we're starting with john that has a, a wonderful um, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful, not story, it's a wonderful document that, that describes the, the reality of Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's a good one for us to go through to explain a lot of the different beliefs of Christians that are different from other denominations or other, uh, uh, you know, cults like Jehovah's Witnesses and everything else. So it's important that we lay a foundation of the biblical truth so that we can then have conversations with people that might not necessarily come from that same uh same place if that makes sense right yeah. so so again like you said it's um, not a bible study podcast it's a podcast for us to have dialogues and conversations and we're using john and genesis as a springboard exactly for you for yeah. me to be able, for us to be able to answer all those questions that come up as we're reading it so yeah yeah um where are we at with time when did we start uh, the recording well, it's 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 one o'clock right now, so I think you you have a hard hard out at like one fifteen. Um, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, so we got so, about another fifteen minutes, and uh, we've done an hour and twenty minutes of an episode, so we'll get you know a little bit more than an hour, uh, okay. hour forty five, and so we shoot to do about two hours of content every week. Uh, you know, some weeks it'll be a little less, some weeks it'll be a little more. Yeah, I think it, it just um. Yeah, it just depends on on the situation. I had a hard time getting up and rolling. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> would you like to dive into? Oh, we also um, uh, da, 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 
Let me let me get that. Um, give me one second here. You yeah. sent me a thing. Um, oh, is this uh, uh? So the other thing we've been trying to do is kind of show off some of the work that we do outside of this. Uh, for those of you that know me from AIIW, you might have already seen this video. Uh, but I think we're gonna show a little short that I made. Um, so yeah, and uh, you know, I, I, again. I think it's important the the way that that social media works is you have a lot of different people coming together and, and using their uh, the people that they have following them and, and funneling them into this to get good Christian content here and then hopefully get people to go see our Christian content other places as well. And that's that's kind of how you build momentum with social media is different people uh, working together and, and casting as wide a net as possible. Yeah, let, let us also know in the comments where you came from. Like, if you're listening from Spot... Oh, wait, yeah, well... Never mind. Uh, that, that... <laughs> I was going to say, like, uh, let us know how you got um, to this podcast in the comments. Yeah. So, like, if you're an As It Is Written um, follower, let us know in, like, the comments. Or if you're just, like, oh, yeah, where, however you came here. That'd For sure. And if you're listening to us on the podcast, you can text us at 833-262-6431. Uh, you can also find all of our other social media at link tr or at faithfuldialogues.com. So you can check out faithfuldialogues.com if you want to leave us a comment, a like, or subscribe over on YouTube or one of our other. We're over on like all the different major social media platforms. So whatever one also, you use the most. If you comment on um, our videos, on any one of our YouTube videos, you'll be entered into a raffle. Um, once we get to 50 subscribers on YouTube, we're going to do a giveaway from Apostles Addict, uh, um, Addict. Um, so basically, it's gospel, it's Christ-centered gospel clothing, and you can go and check it out. Um, it's got a bunch of cool stuff. So if you end up winning, you can just pick one of the t-shirts from the, the website. It'll totally be free, and then we'll just mail it to wherever you want us to mail it to. Um, yeah, and so uh, go comment and subscribe, and then we're going to go ahead and watch um, some good content from As It Is Written. Are you ready for me to play the video? Uh, give me two seconds, sorry. All right, there we go. Ready. <laughs> All right. Ian Crossland and John Dutois are discussing a verse from Genesis 6, 4, which says there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Who's your favorite superhero? Look, man, superheroes, it's it's all Nephilim propaganda, man. Nephilim like the ancient from the Bible, the right, ancient ones? Right, yeah, yeah. And half angel or, or half God, right? A lot of these superheroes are like that, right? They got special powers. They're like gods to the people. Yeah, it's just Nephilim propaganda, man. We all need to repent from that. Do you think the Nephilim were real? I do. Yes, the Nephilim definitely are real. I believe that they are the original gods that ultimately became the pantheons of different religions. If you look at Zeus, he's the god of thunder. He's also called Jupiter, Indra, and Thor. And I believe that that is Satan. They're all the gods of thunder and lightning. And Satan is an angel of light, according to 2 Corinthians 11:14. Wow, that that guy that was speaking to good content by the way. I, I really you. like this. Um, that guy that was speaking seemed really convicted about this. He was like, oh, mm -hmm. "No, that's Nephilim propaganda. We should all repent of that." <laughs> like he is saying that like really, like like really assured of himself. And I, uh, I what is his name? Uh, John Dutois, T O I T, I believe. So J O H N D U T O I T. Um, I'd be interested in looking into stuff that he has to say about. Yeah, uh, I I don't know exactly what his 
uh, his like denomination is or exactly what he believes, but he seemed to be pretty spot on. He was on an episode of uh, Tim Cast that I was watching, and uh, you know he's on there for like two hours and he's talking about his belief in in the Bible and and the Nephilim, uh, you know. And from what I could tell, he was saying basically all stuff that I would agree with, and so that was that was really cool getting to see because nice. you know tim cast is not a christian show it's it's just a like pop culture news show so it's and nice s- when biblical things pop up on that on that platform yeah exactly well and especially when it's it's so pertinent to our culture today where we don't believe in zeus and indra and thor anymore but we go and we teach our children to idolize superman and spider-man and batman and you know all of these superheroes that have a lot of the same kinds of powers that these ancient uh nephilim are claimed to have had they'll yeah they'll look up to these superheroes and dress up as them as Mm -hmm. as at halloween sorry i can't talk yep or or at you know comic con now i mean that's a multi-million dollar industry just in of itself or the in-person events where you spend months making a costume and idolizing and and you know just that's uh, crazy being completely captured by these that. these characters and i'm not know. saying that there isn't a space for someone to to have some fun with superman and batman and stuff but we right. also need to be number one we need to be focused on jesus christ and and the sacrifice that he made that should be the main focus of our life and the other stuff that we have is kind of a uh ancillary thing to that like number one Dude, i'm a I christian like the... Sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, no, you go. You I was going to say the, the, the Christian churches, uh, uh, when we were doing uh, homeschool stuff, so around mm-hmm. Halloween, they would dress up as like heroes of the faith. Like they'd be like <laughs> uh, David and all these other like people and Moses. And like it was so funny watching these kids come in dressed like that. That's <laughs> but, sweet. Like, so... like that's a cool way to turn it into something biblical and like dress up as someone like that was a, you know, saint, really, a believer, you know? Yeah. Well, so that's, and that's, that's really cool. And I love how you use the word saint just to kind of explain that to everybody. What the reality is, is that every single Christian who is saved by the blood of Jesus Christ is a saint. Okay. So the the Catholic Church teaches that there are specific saints that you're supposed to worship. They would say venerate, but that's just not the reality. Um, But in reality, what it is, is that every single person that goes to heaven is a saint. And so... I am a saint right now. My friend Austin here is a saint. We've both been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and Amen. we will go and join all the other saints in heaven someday. And so that's that's how the true reality of the term should be used. Is is as a, it, it's applicable to us right now. We have been. It comes from sanctified. We have been set apart by God for a special purpose. And so, so whoever, yeah, whoever is a believer in Christ is a saint, basically. So, but not to say like I'm on the same level as Moses, but we're both saints. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, yeah. it's, I, I'm definitely on, not on the same level, but I don't think God looks at it that way. But I'm just trying to say like, if I say that I'm a saint or we say that we're a saint, we're not trying to um, pull down these uh, heroes of the faith or try to prop ourselves, ourselves up in any way. We're just trying to like kind of shed light to the understanding that if you believe in Jesus, you are considered a saint and a priest. And that's why during the intro, mm-hmm. Ryan wanted to encourage all the Christians, like if you do believe in Christianity, to go spread the gospel and encourage other believers and make disciples, you know. So, Amen. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, there are differences in Christians. There, there are different responsibilities that you will have in heaven based on the things that you do here on earth. So 
what cool. the reality is is that our works do matter so it, a lot of I, I grew up thinking that our works didn't matter for uh, uh, in a in a because of kind of the teachings of of evangelical churches aren't very clear but the reality is that there is greater punishment for people that do worse sin and aren't covered by the blood of Jesus Christ but there's also greater rewards for the works that we do uh once we're saved and so the works don't cool. save us but they do get counted towards our kind of account in heaven okay and again being it's a pauper in heaven well well being a pauper <laughs> in heaven is going to be better than being you know a king who died and went to hell okay because even in hell everybody's again there's going to be more suffering for people that committed worse sins but there's just eternal suffering is bad no matter what and eternal pleasure and being with God and, 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 you know, being with him forever is good no matter what, even if you aren't at the same level as say like King David. Yeah. I think you'd, I think you'd be happy to be the foot washer in heaven than to be the the most important person in hell. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I, you know, I, I like the way that's said, but it's a little bit imprecise because there isn't a most important person in hell. Like a lot of people think that Satan is right, in hell yeah. <laughs> reigning over it and he's having a great time and it's wonderful for him and he's taking pleasure in being a horrible sadist and it's just great for him. No, hell is going to be a place of eternal torment for him as well. He doesn't reign or rule over hell. No one reigns or rules over hell except God, right? That he's the only person that reigns and rules over absolutely everything. And so... That's just a, a misconception that our modern understanding that our yeah, that, people that modern even shows will like start to paint hell as like this party for unbelievers and it's like not the case. Yeah. Yep. Like a future uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So you know, what were you I, gonna I just, say about Futurama? I was just gonna say like Futurama. It has the the Robo Hell where where Robo Satan is uh, ruling, and yeah, it's it, it's just such a it's a funny caricature. But the reality is that literally everyone in Hell will be tormented and suffering. It, it, it's not gonna be something where the demons were made to do that, so they they get pleasure out of it. No, they don't get pleasure out of it. They suffer and are tormented too. Yeah, I think the. I think some of the descriptions are like chained and bound in like um, darkness or that might be like waiting so, for hell. I'm yeah. Sure. So there's a, there's two different places that we kind of get confused with the word hell. There is a, okay. a waiting place or like a holding. Okay. Think of it this way. So currently in our, our system here in the United States, there are two different places that you could be. You can be in jail, which is a temporary place while you're awaiting trial. And then you could also be in prison, which is a permanent place where you stay until you have filled your you fulfilled your sentence. Okay? okay. So right now, the place that is uh, jail would be is called Sheol. Okay. And so there's two halves of Sheol. One half was called Abraham's bosom, which was a nice place of pleasantness. For, for, it wasn't where the, where the good people went. <laughs> where the good people where 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 those not even, uh, where those who are accounted as good because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice um that's where they went until jesus christ came and redeemed them to go be in heaven with god and then there was a bad side of it and we kind of see that in uh the story of so there's a a, there are two lazaruses in the bible there's the one that got uh there's the one that got resurrected but there's another story about lazarus that a lot of people think is a a parable where uh this lazarus was a, a beggar that was outside of a rich man's house 
And so the yeah. rich man ignored him and didn't help him out, and the poor man died. Then the rich man dies, and the rich man's in this place that I that's called Sheol. So the rich man's in the bad part of Sheol. The poor man is in the good part of Sheol, and they, they have a conversation. And so that's where you can kind of see a, a picture of what I'm talking about. It, it, it's, a, it's a holding cell, but it's a holding cell of torment. They're not happy there. He was... In, in this story, he was wanting water from the uh, the poor man. He wanted him to cross this. it was this. so hot down there, yeah. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, it th- it's a place of torment when you're in this, this jail, essentially. And then ultimately what's going to happen at the end of time is God is going to transfer them to prison. And and so the prison is, gonna, is called the Lake of Fire. And so that's a place of just absolute, complete separation from God and just horrible torment for eternity, unfortunately. And, and that's why we're here today. We want everyone who hears this, we want everyone in the world to come to faith in Jesus Christ and to be saved because the consequences are absolutely dire. And it, it's horrible to think that, that people will be facing it, but they will. It, is it true to say that like the lake of fire or hell itself was created specifically for the devil and his angels and not for human beings? Correct. That is a that is a one hundred percent biblical teaching. It was never it was never intended for us to go there, but because of the fact that we have free will and that Adam and Eve have sinned, it had to be made a place for us to go as well. Unfortunately, uh, God, God's plan was that we would spend eternity with Him, that we would never have eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But human beings had different plans, and and Eve and ultimately got deceived, and Adam joined her. Yeah. All right. So we are getting very close to the time. Um, I just wanted to remind everybody again, comment on our um, on our videos to you just enter yourself into our raffle for free. Um, it'd be really awesome if you subscribe too. <laughs> um, yeah. You can find all of the designs at apostlesattic.com and social-wise, you can find me here on Faithful Dialogues. I'm working on a... Uh, a side channel where I kind of play video games on and off or just talk about biblical things and just kind of uh, keep keep making just different content just to try to make something work, you know. And um, so you, uh, I'll, I'll be announcing something soon when, when it comes to that. Um, and then, Ryan, what do, you, uh, what do you have for us? Where can we find all of your stuff? Yeah, so you can find all my stuff at AIIW.org. Uh, I do a lot of, I've been doing a lot of uh, streaming on TikTok where I go and I'll play like Modern Warfare 2 while also just talking with the stream about the gospel and Christ and Jesus and all that. Uh, I've been having nice. a lot of fun over there. Um, you get some good engagement? Yeah. Get people talking? Mm-hmm. I do. I do. Nice. Uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's nice seeing some people come back and, uh, you know, interact with them on a regular basis and get to talk with them and, and spread Jesus Christ's love. That's the, that's the goal. Yeah. So. We, we, we got to pray for Ryan that, um, the, the, the Lord would bring somebody to him, uh, in his, uh, ventures doing that. Cause somebody might just be looking for some, like, there's like a God shaped hole in their, in their, uh, heart. And, uh, they're just going to stumble upon this modern warfare stream and then see this <laughs> really cool guy talking about God. So, yep. And yeah. and that and that's been and that's been <laughs> happening. Like there was a, a a guy. I think he already was a Christian, but I I mentioned. Oh, he he said he was a Christian, but he didn't have a church. And so I was explaining okay. to him why you need to be part of a church. And and 
really the number one reason you need to be part of a church is because that's how you that's how you stay on the straight and narrow okay if you're just sitting in your own home reading your bible by yourself you can get into some really crazy funky beliefs but if you're studying at your home doing what you're commanded to do and then you go into a church and you get instruction from a, a godly pastor you get you have godly friends and brothers and sisters in christ that you connect with there when you spout off on some crazy heretical belief they're going to check you on that and so i kind of laid that out for him while i was blasting you know enemies in modern warfare 2 which was which was a lot of fun and he was like oh i had never thought about it that way i'm gonna go look for a church and i was like great check out a you know i go to calvary chapel that's that's my jam but that's not the only saved church out there go go find something that works for you so that was hopefully he's doing that we can we can all pray for him to that he that he finds a church i can't remember his name but uh yeah so you you know you just get a lot of those fun interactions that just kind of happen you know happen by happy accident so yeah and then um okay so we are let me see here so we are streaming live to youtube facebook twitch kick and twitter um just mm-hmm. interact with us on any any anything that, um um, if you ask us a question on any of these things, you know, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, Kick, or Twitter, and, um, you know, we, we, we're just going to enter you into the raffle at this point. And, um, yeah, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's been a really great episode. I had, I had a ton of fun. Um, I'm actually liking more and more um, getting, off the, getting off the outline. Like I had a, I had a very big mental outline and I didn't touch a single thing (laughs) and I'm actually really happy because I want it. Um, there's a little, I get a little bit of nervousness and I going back and looking at the other episodes, I can, I can see like right, right when I start off the episode, I'm like really nervous. I'm like stuttering with the gospel and like all this kind of other stuff. And it kind of melts away as the, as the episode goes and stuff, but yeah. That's awesome. So it's it's just it's it, it's also cool to to like see that little bit of a a progression. But I do want to make it as natural as possible. And um, I think one of the things was uh, the script makes me a little bit nervous. Like having mm-hmm. having this uh, thing, even even a little bit just the stream blocks, because I'm like, oh, you know what I mean. Like looking at the stuff that I'm uh, that I want to do, I want to like um, <laughs> just make sure that I'm covering all these all these yeah. basic points. I'm like nervous to make sure that I'm like covering all the points right and stuff. So that's been kind of melting away. Um, the that's natural good. conversations has been helping that a lot too. And I, um, I hope people are starting to, to, to really like our content and come back. Um, I hope so. Can too. you speak to our uh, engagement a little bit? How are, how are things going um, from the uh, analytics? Like how do things look? Yeah. So uh, we get pretty good engagement on our shorts. So I've, I cut up some of these episodes into little minute long clips uh, over on Facebook. We get thousands of views on those, actually. Nice. Um, Thank you, Facebook. Thank you, everybody yeah. on Facebook. That's awesome. <laughs> so uh, we don't get a whole lot of views on the actual stream itself just yet. Um, yeah, but that's we've been getting we've we've got a couple hundred views from uh, our podcast episodes, actually. So we've gotten our downloads, I guess I should say there. We don't know how long people will listen, but a couple hundred downloads of our our podcast over at, uh, over on all the different uh, podcast platforms, Spotify. Thank you for anybody that's downloaded one of our podcasts. So (laughs) uh, if you're on the podcast, please text us at 833-262-6431. If you're listening there, Uh, that's probably the best way for you to contact us. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just been a lot of fun. And I like having a little bit of structure that we can fall back on if there's a gap or we, we come to a point where we don't know where to go, right? 
Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so it's just finding that good balance between having a little bit of structure, but then also having these unstructured, you know, faithful dialogues. That's that's kind of my was my view in the first place was we just turn it on and start talking. But it, it, yeah. there's always a little balance of that. So uh, I've been having a lot of fun with this, and, and I think that God's uh, going to do a, a really good work through it. And I, I think that, uh, you know, as long as we we keep ourselves on the straight and narrow and, and make sure that we're 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 doing this for the right reasons I, I think that there's a there's a lot of really good places that it can go and, and ultimately the the goal that you and i both have is to is to bring christ and to as many people as we can and, and to show people the love that he has for them and and the the salvation that they can have through him right that's that's the goal yeah i want to i want to show people god through his word in a in a unchurchified lens like it, like like church I, and what i mean by that is um there have there's been a lot of hurt um from just people in general within the church outside of the church people that have left people who are hesitant to come just because of how people kind of present jesus and kind of how people present everything and i i i want i i really hope that we can show God in a very authentic way. It's very serious. You have to take this very mm -hmm. seriously, yes. but it's also not just us waving our finger in your face, trying to say like, you know, or hell, do you know what I mean? Like, no, like anything you hear in the Bible that makes you uncomfortable, like this type of sinner won't go into, to, to won't go into heaven. Well, I'm in there too. The sins that I struggle with are going to be the sins that some other group of people, mm -hmm. uh, uh, well, so let, let's, like to to put it into perspective, um, if somebody is like in some kind of sin and it's not what I struggle with, we're in the same category. And that and there's there's communities that um, I wish would repent and and get mm -hmm. right with God. But before yep. Christ, I was in that same position, um, whether I was in that community or out of that community. So you start you start with your faith in Jesus and who He is, and then you move on to doing what He says you should do. And, um, uh, honestly, it's it just, God is real and he really loves you. And he really came he down to show that through his sacrifice on the cross. And, um, I, I hope people can see us for who we really are and that we're not trying to just make followers of a church or anything like that. We want to, we want to be, we want to be fishers of men and mm -hmm. actually win souls for Jesus. Cause that's who we're doing this for. We, we really just want you to have an authentic faith and a real sincere, genuine faith in Jesus Christ. The one that isn't like through the lens of a church denomination or anything like that. Like just read God's word for, you know, what it is, you know, and I think that's well, why you call it as it is written too, because you want to mm -hmm. be as original to the text as possible, right? Exactly. <laughs> I, I, do, I don't want to say things that aren't as it is written. So please call me out, uh, check me with scripture if, if that's the case. But the other thing, you, you, one of the things that I thought of as you were talking is a, a lot of people have this, this idea in their head that a church is a place to bring an unbeliever and that couldn't be farther from the truth. A church is a place to train up priests to go out and minister to the community. And and we have an evangelical thinking. We have it completely wrong and backwards. We think it's the job of the pastor to go out and evangelize the world. No, it is not a pastor's job to evangelize. It is a pastor's job to feed their sheep meat, okay, to bring them up from drinking milk to to eating the, the real meat of the Solid gospel. food. Okay. Yeah. And so what it, what it's, it's the job of every priest in the pew 
to go out and to convert the the unbelievers to disciple those who are are lost okay yeah and so that's what we're doing here we're fulfilling the actual true role of a christian to go out and to convert the 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 lost and then to bring them into the church you shouldn't be coming into the church if you're not already saved okay that that should be the like that should be the basis the baseline for people coming to a church service is that you are a christian and you're ready to be fed actual meat of the word of god so that's that's what the, the bible teaches us i believe okay um yeah we are getting very close yep, uh, so. to the time well, that i need to leave again if you have any kind of issues with or you take any issues with anything that we've said please text us please put some yep. uh put something in the comments it would just it would also give us something to talk about and it would it would be a very healthy discussion to be able to talk about things from a biblical standard um did you have anything to say uh ryan in closing no i think that we should just close it out if you're ready uh i, I think that we're good to go and and we'll we'll end it right here so uh, I, I hope that you all have a, a blessed week. And uh, yeah. So. Absolutely. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Have Goodbye. a good week. Have a good week. Have a great week. God bless. God bless. God bless. Have faith in Jesus.